Welcome to the show, You, Me, and Your Mom, a podcast where a man gets together with his best friend and his best friend's mom to talk about, well, whatever they want to talk about. I'm your host, Brandon, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Eric. Hey! And Sandy. Hello! Sandy is also known as Mom by Eric, and apparently to the rest of us, he thinks when he normally introduces her, but like I said last time, it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank How's you life? for that I have a name. Uh, I enjoy giving agency. <laughs> agency. Apparently, that's it is awkward. mine to dole out with that statement. That was an awkward phrasing <laughs> of it. I was about to say that. I give the awkward. agency, which kind of completely destroys yeah. the whole yeah. purpose yeah. concept. There's some legs you're standing on, and you managed to cut your own legs out right from yeah. underneath you. Well done. <laughs> I'm like, uh. Uh, I don't think it was Meryl Streep. I just remember there was some movie on Saturday afternoon when I was a kid. And when you don't have cable, you know, it's just leftover things from the 70s and 80s that weren't good enough for the actual theaters. And there was just like some story. I think it might have been an Australian family even. Like it wasn't even like some crappy American movie. It was a crappy Australian movie. And they were just like out like cutting wood or whatever. And somehow the mom like hits her own leg with like the axe. I was like, I have chopped wood before. Like, and, and she wasn't doing like the straight down, like she wasn't splitting logs. She was hacking down a tree, like sideways lumberjack style. Wow. So like I... I've done it before, and unless you're, like, extremely off balance and you take a tumble, I, I don't know how you manage to swing into your own leg unless you are just so tired of chopping wood and, and are, you know, the, the whining of your children and husband that you're just, you'll do that to get out of it. I, that That's the only way I could see it happening. Which, you know... No shame, no judgment here. No shame. I get it. Do not <laughs> underestimate the, pa- the the desire to get away from your own family. <laughs> Apparently, that's the moral of this lesson right here. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Listen <laughs> tonight. <laughs> I'd rather chop my my leg off than deal one more second with you two. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. good to know that you had quality entertainment and television <laughs> when you were growing up. I feel so much better about how <laughs> your child. Oh yeah. Like I, they're just so, I have seen every episode of mash, the Simpsons, Seinfeld, Roseanne, home improvement. Just, I think like those, like half a dozen shows and eventually like the Drew Carey show made its way into the rotation. Oh, okay. It was Carey. just like, those were the shows that were in syndication from like five until eight on my local Fox station, which nice. was like so the one we could see. That yeah. So much about you. And, the, and then like, I don't know how many times I've seen the golden child and um, legend of drunken master with Jackie Chan. Well, and, fairness, it's Jackie Chan. I mean, oh yeah. There was, there was a bunch of them back then. Like, I don't remember what their titles were, but like they just had a, an abundance of Jackie Chan movies that they'd play on Saturdays. That's fair. I which was kind of cool. Although like, I think they had like a one and done deal. Cause you'd never see them again. There'd be like 40 different movies that I've seen once throughout my life. I just remember one was really cool. Like the whole threat was these like seven ancient masters or demon masters or whatever, who want to turn the earth to the traditional ways. And some guy over here, he's like, Hey, tradition, that's great. Right. And they're like, no, like this. And then it's like the ancient, and he just like summons this massive, like worm monster or something. And it's like, okay, different definitions of tradition. Got it. Sure. I love Don't, 
I love the fact that these things are on Brandon's brain at all times. Like he just rolled out with that. Like he didn't have to think about it. It just came out. He's like, you remember what happened 20 years ago? I watched this movie. <laughs> oh, 20 at that, this point. That one's probably 25. But I like legitimately, I've been trying to figure out what this movie is because it was just so bat crap crazy. Like it was Oh, I feel like fantastically ridiculous. I feel like there's a quest ahead for us this week. We will find it. We will. I'm sure with like a few simple Google searches, I could get to it. I just haven't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to blow your mind in like five minutes. I'll send it back after we're done. Pretty much. (laughs) That's the one. There it is. Yeah. And your life is complete now. (laughs) (laughs) You're ready for ascension at this point. (laughs) That was the only thing holding you back from Nirvana. (laughs) (laughs) This Jackie Chan movie. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah, that one and like, I just remember seeing Muriel's Wedding, one of like Tony Collette's early movies from oh. when she was still in Australia, like way too many times. It was, that one seemed to be on every other weekend. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all I got. You and me both. <laughs> but you know what's funny is you watched it anyway. That's what cracks me up. <laughs> no, there was nothing else on it. What are you going to do at three o'clock on a Saturday in Pennsylvania when none of your friends are around? Outside of play, curses upon you. <laughs> <laughs> Did that for as long as I could and then figured out a way to not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's uh, there was, about it was like one of those like rainy days. It's like, I just want to go out and get away from people, but I can't. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting about that? The raining, you can't get away from them. Back in the day, William Shatner did this show. Like he headed up called Tech Wars, if I remember right. I love Tech Wars. Yeah, we went on this binge. This is such terrible, terrible TV. You can look it up for those that are listening. He actually had it produced and starred in a show called Tech Wars. No one ever talks about it. But you want to talk about crummy TV that just makes you laugh. It's so bad. It turns out to be great. Try to find Tech War on the internet. It will surprise you. It will absolutely surprise you. It is so bad. It's great. I know, right? We kept watching it. Mom, I remember a very distinct Saturday afternoon. It was raining. It was cold. And we'd watch one episode and go, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Let's watch the next one. (laughs) If you can't tell by my eyebrows and other facial expression, I'm on the wiki page. So that is a deep cut. It's a real thing. That is a deep cut for those who are listening. No one ever talks about Ted Wars, but it is a show that William Shatner did. And it's amazingly bad. And it's just worth watching just clips of it just to see it. Because you know, I just want to sum up your childhood. That was so terrible. Let's watch another one. <laughs> <laughs> it does so, explain some things. <laughs> so speaking of bad old TV, are you familiar with Cop Rock? Cop Rock? I missed this one. It's not quite as old as Tech War. This was in, I think, in like 1990. Yeah, 1990. It ran for one season. They made 13 of this whole episodes. Think NYPD Blues meets Glee. No, I couldn't. It was it was a it was a live action musical police procedural. Wikipedia says it's a police procedural musical television series. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Those are words I never thought to hear like together. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, like there were cameos by like Jimmy Smits and Michelle Green from LA Law. Um, Yeah, like uh, I think there was even like one of the characters from Hill Street Blues like was on as his character. There was just like I, I heard about it like twice within the past week on two different podcasts. And I was like, okay, I need to look this up. And I started watching clips on YouTube. I, oh, I, I, I was saving it for the podcast. You have no idea how much I wanted to send you these clips, but there is one, uh, 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 
courtroom scene that turns into like a gospel choir. <laughs> guilty, oh. he's guilty. So I know <laughs> like what my the next ju- watch is going to be. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, Absolutely. like if I, I haven't actually like gone looking for episodes yet, which I'm I'm sure you can find them somewhere. But I just found a few of the clips on YouTube, like I said. But yeah, cop rock. Don't miss out on it. <laughs> okay, cop rock it is. Thank you for the recommendation. Oh yeah, I'm writing this down. Entertaining, not it's great TV. Streaming on Amazon. <laughs> oh, oh, it is. Oh, perfect. that's glorious. I just put in you know cop rock streaming. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, but. So going from entertaining TV that's horrible to just entertaining TV that's great, let's uh, let's get back to talking about The Mandalorian. Oh, I can always talk about Mandalorian. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Last episode we uh, we kind of talked about you know the foundation, the background of where the whole storytelling genre itself came from behind The Mandalorian, some of those history roots, and got into the first two episodes. And uh, I have no illusions that we're going to get through the last six, but you know I figured we could maybe try three this time and three next time and definitely get through at least two of them we'll see <laughs> your ambitions know no bounds sir right so so let's just start right away the uh the third episode of of season two is just kind of like the first two episodes were great you know well the first episode is really great then we had frog lady and i think we spoke enough about her last time in the naming scheme of star wars are you sure (laughs) are you sure we did i feel like we need to express our feelings stronger (laughs) no i'm on but but episode three we get the first first huge payoff of this series uh, that we were you know rumored and then confirmed katie sackoff as bo katan um gosh it's and i know i'm kind of putting the cart before the the horse there but i just need to talk about her this was a character that she originated and did the voice for on clone wars the animated series right and uh she was it was kind of interesting because i'm gonna go into the backstory here her sister was the leader of the government on mandalore i i believe at this point it was an elected position it wasn't you know just the royal family mandalore had been like a monarchy in the past right um but her sister was the the leader of mandalore and the Mandalorians at this time were living in a time of peace. They weren't all wearing the armor. They weren't out there battling. They were really trying to put that behind them and, and forge this new path forward. And it didn't work out because, of course, you had the Emperor just kind of playing three sides of, of every game, not just two sides. Um, and you also had some factions on Mandalore that were trying to usurp that. And her sister, Bo-Katan, or Bo-Katan, um, voiced by Katie Sackhoff, was actually part of this kind of terrorist group on Mandalore, the Death's Watch, right. that were they wanted to go back to you know the the warring ways. They came from their warrior culture. This was their past. They felt that they were not doing right and dishonoring their culture by trying to you know do this whole peace thing. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, and that, that plays into it when we get into it here. Um, the, let, let's first kind of go back to Frog Lady, because um, last that we saw at the end of that, um, they were just kind of limping along in the Razorcrest Mando, Mando's ship uh, to this planet and, and just literally Swiss cheese, you know, on, a, <laughs> on an engine flying into this planet. 
Um, and we pick up right there. He, he brings it into Harbor. You see this Mon Calamari, you know, like Admiral Akbar from Return of the Jedi. It's a trap. That guy, he, he's working on the docks wearing that, you know, Amazon cable knit sweater that, you know, literally a day after people were showing the link where you could buy it on Amazon because they recognized it right away. God bless the internet. God bless the power of the internet. I amazing. Nothing will ever defeat the internet. The fact nope. that the next day they can show you the link of finding the sweater that one very minor character wears is incredible to me. While we're here, while I'm talking, let's talk about real quick about the dock that he's at because it's amazing. You have all of these callbacks to different movies and they do it in a very clever way. They have all of these different species that you see in all the original trilogy and all in a few of the prequels. They all show up there and it's fantastic because it gives that sense of world right? Like it's a living, breathing place. Now, if I remember right, this is the first time we've seen this planet in any of the Star Wars. Is that right? I think right. so. Yeah. So was, even was, it even, it. was it even given a name? Was it named? Trask, I want to say. I want to okay. say Trask. Um, and so you, what's interesting about that is we have a brand new location that we've never seen in the Star Wars universe, even in the books and the games and, and all the TV shows. I thought that was interesting. Now, Will we come back to that? I don't know, but it was interesting that we had this water rainy world. It looked like uh, a, a interesting Seattle. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. the best way to describe it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Very, yeah. very just like, you know, rainy and overcast and, and general gloomy. And I'm sure that if you put up an umbrella, what are you doing? It's not even raining. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of vibes. Um, so, so you see Frog Lady and Frogman reunited. <sighs> It's a thing. And I'm happy for them despite their horrible names. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, they, they got together. They have some eggs after Grogu's, you know, pig out. <laughs> yeah, we, we can get into that moral quandary discussion uh, last episode. Check it out, folks, if you haven't listened uh, yeah, to it. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. Like, it, it's yeah. funny because I'm kind of frustrated to the point where it's hard for me to talk about it on a podcast at this point. Because, yeah, it's, but it's good to see Frog lady frog man get together sure it was a quick quick moment got to see it fantastic yeah Yeah, not not too broken up about it so you know frog lady puts him in touch with some quarons who are the the fishermen who say you know yeah we know we know where where some of your kind are we'll take you to them um and and this is just a bit of background star wars nerdery uh that those quarons is the name of the race they live on the same planet as the mon calamari on um mon cal i think is the actual name of the planet so they they share that um they're uh, an amphibious species as well which is they kind of look squiddish and the mon cows look more like octopi um octopuses um so that's kind of why fun fact yeah that's a cool fun fact pushes up glasses the glasses <laughs> so uh, so anyway so they're out there just kind of talking with them and they say hey you want to want us to bring the kid over here we'll show you how we feed the you know plot device i forget what the creature's named down in the brig and so they get closer and grogu's still in his egg and then he just like perfectly hockey slaps grogu's egg into the mouth of this like sea beast kraken thing under their deck of their ship um and as soon as he does that he knocks mando in they pull a, a cage over the top and him and the other fishermen just start banging you know and and trying to just push him down he's wearing metal armor in water there's a giant sea beast there he's not going to last long um and and all of a sudden we just see these three mandalorian come in 
just like come in, just blast everybody, throw the grate open, pull Mando out. They get Grogu back because they're not going to kill the cute, adorable little baby, like just like this. Um, it, was a, it was a cool scene. I it mean, was it was a fantastic. You're skipping through it pretty fast because we've got things to cover, but it was a right. really cool scene. I, what yeah, I liked. I, uh, go ahead. What did you like about it? Then? Oh, me? Oh, sure. <laughs> what I liked about it was that they needed a plot device to remove the egg protection of Grogu, right? Right. And they needed to do an action sequence where it removes that protection from Baby Yoda. They did that on purpose because later on it drives the, the plot forward. Because if he just jumps in the egg all the time, it's pretty much he's safe. I do think that was interesting how they chose to deliver that. They also furthered the plot simultaneously by the idea that how valuable Beskar is. You know, remember the fishermen attacked uh, Din because of his Beskar. That right. was the whole point of their attack. They wanted to it because it's so valuable. And, you know, I think that was interesting. They were doing, t they were building the world a little bit more, but yeah. they were also driving it forward and then setting it up for Gorgu when he gets captured because he can't just run to his little cool egg. Yeah. They Gorgu did that off the like Putting him in a satchel is just a, a totes adorbs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. And that was all that was set up to do that. And you're like, well, Eric, I mean, do they do that stuff on purpose? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they do. It's world building. I mean, these guys know value when they see it. They're going to take, you know, the baby and this guy out in the middle of nowhere, kill him and sell the parts. Exactly. So it was interesting. And another thing that was interesting was the Mandalorians that came in. Do you want to talk about how they're night owls and how they've shifted allegiance? Uh, yes. So, yeah. So this is the fun part that comes in where you get like the big kind of the first big crack in Din Jardine, you know, Mando's uh, whole way of life. As far as he knows, um, they come down and introduce themselves and they remove their helmets. And just like in the first episode, when he first met Cobb Vanth and he took off the helmet, you see him tense again. Right. And, and he says, you know, no true Mandalorian would take off their helmet. And you can just see the three of them go, Oh, geez, another one. He's one of these. <laughs> and, and there's just so much, oh, bless your heart energy coming off of the three of them. And, and, and you know, Katie Sackhoff, Bo-Katan just goes, I, this is, I am third generation, or this fam this armor has personally been in my family for the last three generations. Um, and we've lived on, we are from Mandalore of old. She's like, you were raised by basically this like cult called, you right. know, the was it Children of the Watch? Children of the Watch, which we definitely want which, to talk about. Which is a great, you know, circling back to what I said before. Yeah looking at him and hearing this, you kind of see this like, oh crap, another one, but also a uh, this is because of me. This, like, this guy, his whole way of being is a direct result of actions she took in her, of actions that she took in her youth. Um, because, like I said, she was part of this group, the the Death Watch, right? Um, that wanted to go back to the warring ways of Mandalore, uh, that didn't want to try for peace and support the the Galactic Alliance, the Fed, uh, the Republic, rather. Which Sorry, <laughs> It gives her an interesting reaction, right? It really does. Because immediately she feels morally responsible for him. And you can tell that in her actions towards him from the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. She feels a connection because the Death Watch, uh, she was part of that. She led it. And then she got 
a stroke of conscience and realized that how bad this was and turned good for those that are not familiar. Right. And her particular squad, they call themselves the Night Owls, and they actually adorn their Beskar armor with designs that look like owls. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Different colors like blue and things like that. And what they're doing is then they turn and then they fight against the, uh, the, the Death Watch, right? But what we are piecing together, they don't come out and say it, but what we pieced together was there was another faction of the Death, Death Watch that began to take war orphans and train them. And we realize that Den is part of the Death Watch cult that branched off and took him in as a war criminal. And they have a very specific name for these kids that they raise. They call them the children of the watch. So it's a really interesting reaction because you can see Bo-Katan kind of think it through and realize what she was looking at. And I think that was really interesting. Yeah, and I know mom's got something there. I do. I I just wanted to point out that the choice of Katie Sackhoff, just because she always plays these really strong women who always are faced with these moral choices. If we think about Battlestar Galactic. Mm Right. And she she's facing these moral dilemmas. And she, as a strong woman, how does she do this? Longmire. She plays in Longmire with that same option. Right. She played in this, actually, I like it, but it's called Another Life. Um, it's another star. Um, she's a starship captain. And she has these moral dilemmas. She plays these strong women or throughout her career. So when you see Katie Sackhoff, you immediately think there's going to be a need for a strong woman with some kind of core that's going to help her choose because something's coming up that's going to be a moral dilemma. I know she could be cast in other roles, but she's usually not. Right. When you immediately see this casting, that's where my brain went. I went, ooh, something's going to happen right here that's going to mean that she's going to have to make this moral choice. It's Katie Sackhoff, right? Such a good casting choice. For this particular role to play Bokatan, or is it mm-hmm. Bokatan, right? Bokatan, yeah. And Bo-Katan. you know, they and to see that where they casted her back in Clone Wars like 10, 11 years ago, mm-hmm. and then you see the progression of her finally being on screen. And there wasn't even a question on who was going to play Bokatan. It needed to be Katie. It had to be. Her. She defined that role for them absolutely. I think she's one of our most underrated actresses. Agreed. Honestly. Absolutely. Full disclosure, like, it's my pick for Captain Marvel. They didn't go with her, but she was actually my pick for Captain Marvel. I was, I was really hoping they were going to go with her too. She has, she is such a name among the sci-fi community, which is great and fantastic, and and she does spectacular roles. But I would so love to see her in more mainstream. Yes, agreed, one hundred percent. Projects. She's so underrated. I, I do. I, I watch anything she's in. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. I was excited to see her. And then the big reveal of who she is when she takes her helmet off. It's just fantastic. You know, I had not read ahead. So I, you know, trying to keep the spoilers down as I was watching it. And when I saw her take off her helmet, I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was like my sense of excitement hit when I realized, you know, here's, here's Bo-Katan in the night owls. And then at that, then my question was, when she takes her helmet off, is that going to be Katie Sackhoff? And uh, so that was, you know, my excitement was, is it going to be her? You know, and they actually right. did. So it was really, it was a cool scene. Yeah, it, it was, was a cool scene for sure. Yeah. It had to be her. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm hoping that they don't have to. It, it would it would be not shoehorned into necessarily, but it's not necessary to put her in the the series. But I would like to see Sabine Wren from Star Wars Rebels, which yeah. was the animated series after Clone Wars yeah. that um, Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano came back and had a role in that. And then Ezra Bridger was kind of the, the new Jedi. You know, he was like a kid being trained um, in that series that a lot of people were thought was going to show up in the season finale. And I, I probably would have put 10 bucks down on it myself. Um, and that was not the case, but you know, we're, we're okay with that as well, but we'll get to that for now. We're on episode three, <laughs> but yeah. So, so we get this, this, this character fan favorite that people have been like wanting to know what's happened to. Um, and we find out um, she and her companions, the night owls are, trying to take over this Imperial weapons ship um, because they want to take the weapons on the ship and sell them and, or use them to take back Mandalore um, right. Mandalore is, you know, under siege. I don't know if it's under siege right now, but it's not under Mandalorian control. Um, I'm guessing the empire has a strong hold there or, or well, someone they, does. That's just, it's not Mandalorians. Well, real briefly, they reference it. They call it the great perch. Now we don't right. know exactly what happened there, but we know. Right. Uh, Moff Gideon is behind all of that. And we will attest to that later on. They do refer mm-hmm. to it. So obviously the empire did sack Mandalore. So right. and they call it the great purge, but we've not had a whole lot of details about it. We just know. And so I think what Bo-Katan is trying to do is reestablish order on Mandalore and go from there. I think that's the idea. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, so so she says, look, you know, you need to find out information about the Jedi. We could use an extra Mandalorian to on this mission. You help us. I'll tell you what you want to know. Um, so they do, um, and we get to see this this fantastic uh, a scene of just four Mandalorians, just these super soldiers. They know exactly what they're doing. Just take down this ship, and you, you see it kind of from the perspective of the Imperial officers on the deck. At first, we see you know them. The Mandalorians come and, and two or three of them come in, you know, through the, the one door. They, they blast their way in while it's in flight because they've got jetpacks. Why not? Yeah. Um, and, and that's just cool seeing them. And, and you just hear it. They've taken over the holster, you know, pew, pew, pew. Okay, our, our officers are down. This is that and the other. And it's just the, 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 the pilot and the commanding officer. And I think there's like one pilot or two pilots with him. They both just kind of seal themselves off in the, the cabin. And of course, it's just an extra five seconds for the Mandalorians to get into them then. Right. And uh, a great character actor there. I don't think I have his name handy, but as soon as you see him, you're like, Oh, that guy who's been on every TV show and that every fifth alive. movie for the past yeah. 30 years. Yeah. The guy with the yeah. I always forget his name and I feel terrible for forgetting it. Did I actually write it down? thought I did, but I must not have, but yeah. And uh, it's funny. Cause I believe this is the one and, where uh, they're saying, you know, he has the pilot who's like, we'll never give up information about the Empire, da, 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 and, and he shoots him. Is that in this episode, or is that might be a later one? Uh, I think it's this episode. I think it's this one. He's like, shut up, I'm getting out of your life, basically, um, <laughs> yeah, if I can. <laughs> it's such a great, that's all, you know, it's funny how this is so much action-packed in this particular episode. And it's interesting how Mandalorians constantly 
making a deal, right? So he's mm-hmm. helping them take out this ship because they can tell him where a Jedi is. It's funny to me. Uh, I saw Screen Junkies just released their honest trailer for season two uh, today, <laughs> in fact, right? And it's amazing. And they made this joke about how the real currency of the Star Wars universe is not the credit, it's the pinky swear. <laughs> and it just made me laugh so hard. So, you know, Mandalore is constantly, I mean, excuse me, uh, the Mando is constantly making deals to get things done, right? Mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting. So he helps them fight, you know, the empire on this ship. It's fantastic. Did you know who directed this episode? This is interesting to me. Um, I don't off the top of my head. Oh, I got it. Uh, go ahead. That's one of my favorite actresses of all time. Bryce Dallas Howard mm-hmm. actually directed this and she actually does a really great job. I love yeah, her. She does. Because she does a good job with action. Action is not an easy thing to shoot. You got to show it in sequence and she does a fantastic job. In both these action sequences, you can see the progression of the movement. She does a great job. And then, there, you know, it's, it's a tight, concise plot. It's just fun to see Bryce fall in the footsteps of her dad. It's just mm-hmm. so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, and yeah. she really did do a fantastic job. Titus Welliver, by the way, is the name of that character actor who plays Thank the Imperial Captain yeah. at IMDb here. So I just looked it up real quick. Thank you, yes. But yeah, so, and of course, he's not going to, get out alive um but you know mando keeps up his his end of the bargain uh they get the ship he you know gets his information that he wants and uh, it's it's the information that we'd all been hoping for that was rumored and we just hear that at the very end of the episode bokatan tells him that you know to find ahsoka tano in the city of caladon and the forest planet of corvus and just as soon as you know you can find ahsoka just i i had to you know, just clamp both hands to my mouth because I was watching this at one thirty in the morning after my wife had gone to bed yeah. and I, I grabbed my pillow. Like I jammed it in my mouth and just started screaming. Ahsoka Tano, Ahsoka Tano, it's Ahsoka. And it's going to be Rosario Dawson because we know it will be. Yeah. And, oh, we just, so oh, it was so cool. Like, yeah, just to have the confirmation. Yeah. Well, Rosario Dawson is making my husband's like, yeah. That was an interesting episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Now we know more She's, about my stepfather than I'm really yeah, wanting to know. And it, it's kind of funny for, for me, it was kind of a perfect circle. The first time that I remember seeing Rosario Dawson in anything was, <laughs> and, and I can guarantee this will be very few people's first time clerks too. Yeah. Um, Kevin Smith's yeah. hyper raunchy fast food, uh, you know, fast food place comedy movie that ended with the donkey and yeah but (laughs) and it's it's just i listen to a lot of kevin smith podcasts you know he 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 is a director and an actor but he's a huge podcaster has been for over a decade now and he's you know just the biggest cheerleader of anyone he's ever met and worked with and, and that you know has been a positive experience for him and he just always blows up rosario dawson just can't talk highly enough of her and when he heard that the first rumor of this he was just flipping out because he would see rosario around hollywood and they talk about different things and he knew that and and i think they've even worked on things since then yeah. uh, but you know she is and has been one of the biggest ahsoka tano fans Right. Um, ever since Clone Wars, just had a huge, huge love for the character, huge respect for it. And when he, when he found out officially that she was playing the role, I think he rolled a tear. He was just so happy for her. Right. And, and it was just kind of funny that, you know, the first time I ever, you know, saw her was in a Kevin Smith film. And then the first time I heard about her being rumored for this part was from the voice of the man himself, the mouth of the man himself on one of his podcasts doing nerd updates. 
and just hearing her pump him up or hearing him pump her up so much and how much he had love for this character. And uh, when we get to that episode, which is just two away, like you could seeing her in that episode was just seeing Rosario Dawson doing what she loves. Yeah. And you could tell what respect and love she brought to that role. It was just poetry in motion. And we'll gush more about that after the next episode, The Siege, because we can't give you, you know, the pudding as soon as we tell you about it. You have to eat your vegetables first. <laughs> well, I like this episode. I'm, 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 okay. Hey, they're, they're good vegetables, you yeah, know? Like, they're not bad. Like, these are candied yams. I'll yeah, we get, to, we get to see, you know, we get the gang back together from the first season. We get to see Carl Weathers again, yep. um, Grief Karga, and we get to see uh, Cara Dune again. Yeah. And and I think most funnily, we see them take Baby Yoda into a school with other children. The youngest is probably six, and the oldest, you know, is probably like twelve or fourteen. Just all, you know, one room school class style. But we can't just take them to a friend of the family to watch. No, let's just go dump them in a school with twenty other kids <laughs> that, like, you know, parents come and pick up, and you know, an assassin could easily just, you know, come in and pew pew. Um, but no, let's let's just. Let's stick them in a, in a little public education. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I felt like they but, did for the jokes on that. There's not a really great and yeah out of the way because, during the siege, but it, it was definitely for the jokes because as soon yeah. as he sits down and the camera pans to the desk beside him, and there is just a, a container of bright, bright turquoise macaroons that look like the most cutest, delicious little pastry cookies ever, and. Those actually are a thing that you can order from, I don't know if it's Disney itself or you can get them in the parks, but I think they missed a real opportunity here because they're like Madagascar and vanilla bean, which is great. But the color that those are, they should have gone with some kind of blueberry or, or blue raspberry or just something that, you know, with, with that gorgeous color of blue that they had and to just make them vanilla, I really think they missed an opportunity here. I know this is the most pickiest and nitpickiest of first world problems. But they played so much on that because, you know, he tries to grab him and the kid smacks him and then he messes around. And of course, by the end of this scene, he's just eating the macaroons. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, Disney's going to trade up on this. And of course they did like oh, yeah, literally absolutely. within days. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. It was promotion for their parks and stuff. I guarantee you they're going to sell those macaroons in Star oh, yeah. galaxy here in Disney world, but yeah, they're probably in Oga's cantina already. You know, it's funny when I compare this scene where he's eating everything versus, you know, the infamous scene on the, on the ice planet. Uh, this this does feel a little bit better to be honest i mean sure. being kind of a little jerk but yeah it does feel a little bit better he feels more like a three-year-old as opposed to i don't know if i feel right about this so yeah it hits all right i mean i know it's just shameless plugging for their part but it is what it is um i do think it's interesting that dan was just like yeah that's cool throw him in school <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no problem here yeah it's, 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 it's like yeah, and so we have this this great little like heist mission. Sure. Not even it's not even a heist mission. Listen, this is this is just a straight. Hey, you know, there's this one small base on the other side of the planet that you know these rebels are still there. We just want to go clean them out. You know, come help us out. Um, and then you know while you refuel and restock, and you know we'll watch the baby and you know get some cute pictures or whatever. Um, but just just help us do this one small thing real quick. Yeah. So of course it's just going to be one small thing because that's how these. That's how these plots work. Well, sure. Because if yeah. it's the truth, they knew he wouldn't actually do it. Right. You know, 
we could we could jump through a lot of that um, real for the sake of time. The only thing that I would think is probably you would want to talk about, but that whole sequence of them uh, attacking the Imperial base on the other side of the planet is the very specific uh, Easter egg found in the in the tanks. I don't know if you want to talk about that real quick, but no, take it away. Sure. So. You know, basically, they do take over the base. As long story short, they win. <laughs> well, I gotta say, it, yeah. it it is it is not just an ordinary base, but it is kind of neat that we see. Is it Doctor Pershing? I think his name is. Yeah, from the first season, the yeah. the first couple guys that you know, you find out that no, they've been doing tests on his blood at this base. Like this yeah. is what the Imperials have been here. It's not just you know some old his blood. Equipment. You're referring to Baby Yoda. Gordon. Yeah, Grogu <laughs> slash Baby Yoda slash Yodito. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Right. So the biggest thing to take away from that sequence is the quick Easter egg and that connects us directly to the new Star Wars sequels. If you look at the cloning takes, it is implied that um, Snoke, uh, Emperor Snoke, is he's, uh, it's his different clones that are happening. And if you've seen the new movies, you'll realize who I'm talking about. He's the big bad in the first, the first of the new sequels. First two. Part of the second. Yeah. The part right. of the second episode. And then you find out in the newest sequel, the last one, uh, episode nine, that he was actually cloned by the emperor, emperor Palpatine in particular. So what we realized then is they were using baby Yoda's blood to develop the clone of Snoke, which we actually see as the big bad villain in the actual movies. So we see that connection and it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. So they're retroing back to seeing a bit of these connections. So I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. That's a really cool action. Yeah. That's a really and, and cool yeah, this yeah, plot plot wise and story wise, it's a very straightforward story. They get, you know, the, there's a Chekhov's gun when they first get there. That oh, and and one other thing that's nice, we get to see the fish man from the very first episode, the very first bounty that he brought in. He's serving his bounty by being Grief Karga's, you know, secretary, basically his right. assistant. So he drives him out, and so we get Horatio Sands in you know a fishman suit, which is nice. Yeah, it is. Um, um, and of course he says something about, you know, well, I better not lose that speeder. And of course they have to abandon it because they're fleeing in, a, in an old school Imperial tank at the end. And, and you've got this kind of cool action scene of this box canyon fight where there's, you know, three or four TIE fighters just shooting at this tank that's trying to drive out of a canyon and just dodging and weaving as much as it can. So it's really great to watch cinematically. Yeah, yeah. And it also brings me to one of my big, not a rant, but my really, really points of this episode that they split up at, at, at one point to take the tank. So it's Grief, Karga, Cara Dune, and Horatio Sands' Fishman. I, I don't know his name, and I don't think it's really important. So they're going in the tank, and they're escaping. Din Jardine says, well, I'll fly back to the village, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you here, or meet you wherever. So as, as they're doing this box canyon chase, that's happening in real time, like, what three to four minutes maybe um we are led to believe that mando is able to buy his jetpack fly to the other side of the planet get baby yoda out of school get the razor crest and then come back and help finish off the last x-wing that's about to demolish the tank well, of course but what's your problem yeah tie physics <laughs> I don't have a problem, but Stephen Hawking does. <laughs> hey, I got a quick question for you, Mom. Um, 
you know, uh, Brandon and I are like really hardcore in all of this. At this point in season two, we're about midway, almost midway into season two. As a casual fan, how are you feeling about this? I know that you kind of binged it all in one day, but as a casual fan, is it pretty accessible at this point? Or well, what do you feel? I mean, I know that we were all screaming about the fan service. I, I don't want to forget that. Is this an actually a good TV show? So here's, here's the thing. Yes, I'm a casual fan of Star Wars. I'm more of a Trekkie than a Star Wars. So there you go. I do like Star Wars. I did enjoy The Mandalorian. But to be perfectly frank, each episode to me felt like the same storyline a little bit over and over again. Uh, sure. Very much like they wanted to bring that Western feel in, of course, like we talked about last time. But but it felt very much like they were going to, he was going to bring the baby and they were going to run into some trouble. Um, the Mandalorian Mando was going to like save the day mm-hmm. and the baby was going to be used for some sidekick jokes. And then they were going to go on about their day. It felt very much like the same plot in every episode. Now I, I'm sure. saying that I enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. I, when I say that, it sounds like I didn't enjoy it. I actually did, but it did feel very much like the same plot in every single episode, especially in the second season. Uh, the first season, they were kind of setting the groundwork, but it, it got so in our house that Mike and I were like, okay, here's what's going to happen next. And sure, sure enough, it absolutely did. Now that's part of a good Western. That is part of it being a Western. Right. Once in the future, you know what's going to happen in the Western. The sheriff is going to win the day. Right. They're going to have a gunfight sometime. And sometimes someone's going to say, this town's not big enough for the two of us, right? right. It's going to happen. That's part of the draw and the appeal of a Western. Right. The Mandalorian so, had that. It's like, what variation of the theme are we getting today? Yeah, it really was that. So to answer your question, I enjoyed it as a casual fan of Star Wars. Um, The Easter eggs, to be perfectly frank, didn't mean a whole lot to me. Um, I did enjoy like Katie Sackhoff and these kinds of things that happened. But overall, it was like, yeah, this is fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's as far as it went. This is yeah, this, it's not really the type of show where you're waiting for the musical episode and the makeover episode and the trip to Disney World episode. Like you said, it is very much, it's kind of the, the same formula, and I'm, I even hesitate saying that, but it is, you know, he's going to meet the living signpost, he's going to get his mission, he's going to complete that mission, and he's going to get the next piece on his journey where he meets the next living signpost to get the next mission to continue on to the next step of his journey, rinse, lather, repeat. It did, and it didn't feel very deep. Now, I, I know I have seen since, I've seen online, you know, this solves this plot hole in Star Wars, and this does this, and all of that. And I'm sure that's probably true. I don't know. But as a casual fan, fan as you put me, Eric, which is probably sure. about right, um, it was like, okay, well, this is fun. Yeah. I mean, it literally boiled down to that. It didn't feel deeper. Now, I, I will be honest, I love Mando. Um, I, I think that that was, he's such a great character and, you know, that, that stoic, that all that we talked about last time, he's great. Baby Yoda, which isn't really Yoda, he's Grogu. He, he's cute as a button and I do want to adopt him. I've asked for one for my birthday. I don't know. <laughs> 
Um, is either that or a dinosaur? I don't think I'm getting either. I'm a little disappointed, but whatever. When's your birthday, Sandy? June. I think. Oh, what day in June? Twenty nine. That's right. Yeah, yeah so same day as my father-in-law. Not the same year. So. Nine days after mine. Nine days after yours. That's right. That's right. But it, you know, I'm I'm hoping for one or the other. But you know, Baby Yoda's got this appeal that I don't know that they intended to be quite such appealing, but he really ended up being very appealing. But I I just it doesn't feel deep to me since you asked. It's it's sure, like no, that's true. I'm asking. Like, yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, I noticed I noticed you were quiet for a lot of this. And well, I was quiet because I don't really I mean, I don't want to like like burst the balloon because I really do think it's fun. I enjoyed it. Will I watch it again? Probably because it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do I watch it and sit on the edge of my seat? I really didn't, guys. I I knew what That's was gonna fine. happen and I knew each episode that it was all gonna be fine because it follows that set formula. Mm-hmm. I even knew, honestly. The last episode of season two, I knew what was going to happen before it did. Everyone yeah. was like, oh, I was so surprised. I wasn't surprised. Yeah. I yeah. saw it coming. I saw it coming from like episode two, maybe, um, or episode three, episode three, when they found the, the children of the Night Watch. I knew it was coming. Yeah. And I wasn't a bit surprised. And frankly, it shouldn't have been that predictable to a casual fan. Um, but... Yeah. I, I, I think they were. I think they were kind of playing that one that the the casual fans kind of knew it, but then like the hardcores are going to be like, well, no, we think it's going to be this character because like oh, I mentioned earlier. It. That, yeah, exactly. That's like, uh, and either way, it wouldn't have surprised me. I was really hoping for Ezra Bridger, but I was very glad with who we got as well. I um, wasn't. I, I, I I'll be blunt. That I, I I will I will be blunt about that. I, 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 I thought it was too easy and, and too much, but I was okay with it. Like I, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that next time. Yeah, we'll, talk about, <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit. But, but, I, but since you asked about a casual fan, I, I think it was very predictable, but I think that that's part of the draw. I think it feels that, comforting. Yeah. It's it a level comforting. comfort. Yeah. You know, I think that this year, the last year and part of 2021, you know, I think that that's really what we needed. I laugh about the Bernie means i think that our nation needed that mm-hmm. i think that our nation needed something as comforting and as predictable and as fun and as heartwarming as grogu and mando and their adventures mm-hmm. so that's that's really what i think it's interesting to hear you say that um because i think there's a danger that disney has to be very careful of when it comes to Star Wars in general, they straight up made that mistake in the newest sequels and they got a little close to making that mistake this season. I love this season, but here's the thing. They are counting on their people to freak out about fan service. They're counting on the problem with fan services. It's actually not anything new. It's not new to the narrative. And so you get a quick dopamine high, if I can use that, because that's what it is. But it's not actually necessarily contributing as much as it should. So what they're relying on is the shows uh, being attractive to people is, look, we have your uh, figure, (laughs) action figure. We have this action figure we're pulling in. We have this guy we're going to throw into the sandbox, as opposed to uh, pulling them by a good, solid plot. Now, 
am I saying that Mandalorian has a solid, that doesn't have a solid plot. No, it does. But they have to be really careful with that because I saw them kind of avoiding that problem season one, but I saw them doing a little bit, a a little bit right now in season two. I do think season two is fantastic, but it is kind of, kind of a a thing. We'll tell you the truth. If they don't step up their game for season three, I may or may not make it through. Sure. Um, I'm not sure I would have made it through season two. Um, if I didn't see the surprise coming sure. and I wanted to see that yeah, just to see if I was right. But season three has to step up. And I, again, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I, I don't want to mischaracterize that at all. And I certainly don't want to burst your balloons. No, not at all. But I, I, I feel like each, each episode needs a bit more. It needs a bit more complexity if they want to continue. It's great for season one, perfect for season two, for season three, there needs to be more character development of Mando, those surrounding him. I would love to see Katie Sackhoff, her one, to return and to see more depth in her. I would like to see the plot. I, I, I don't want to be checking off my list. Sure. Three plot developments, each episode, they're exactly the same. He moves to a new place. They come and ask him for his help. He helps. They save the day. And then they move on to the next place. And I'd like to see more complexity in that. Um, It's time to move on. Season two was great. Season three needs to be more complex. Yeah. And and I'm I'm, going to lose us. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that in season three we'll we'll see kind of not a dramatic shift necessarily but definitely a shift towards that um, because they do resolve the the main storyline that we've been tracking through seasons one and two at the end of season two and then there was the post credit scene um, setting up the Boba Fett series um, that's not spoiler we're talking about it. it's been a month or two months by now and, and there's been all kinds of announcements officially and otherwise um, when when we learned okay so does that mean that this this story that we know it is completely over and we're switching to this character. Are we not going to see Din Jardine anymore? And then they clarified, no, that, you know, this book of Fett um, series that is coming out is going to be solely about Boba Fett and the Mandalorian will continue the adventures of Din Jardine. Now that he's completed this massive quest that he spent 16 episodes and two seasons doing, you know, what does his future path look forward? And I'm really hoping it, it takes us into that, that philosophical shift that he's kind of facing in this season that you see him take, you know, huge steps away from how he was raised in the next few episodes, because it's conforming to this new life and new philosophy that he's been learning and, and kind of treading on his own as he's been put into these situations. And like you said before, it used to be, how can I make the most money to get the best car to support my covert and, and, you know, continue our ways to, what should I do morally? What's the moral thing? What's the right thing to do here? Um, So I really hope we see more play with that. I hope so too, because they're not going to be able to lean on Grogu. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fan. That was a favorite. Yeah. And it was a fan servicey thing they did this season. I, I think I even remarked upon it last, you know, episode in the first season we get, you know, maybe five to 15 seconds of prime, 
you know, Grogu baby Yoda footage in each episode, you know, that they did it just, you know, just like salt bay, you know, just a little bit in each episode, you know, cause like I said, you know, my wife would come every week. Okay. Show me the baby Yoda scene and we'd watch it and she'd go ah, squeal and hop around and he's so cute and start making sounds that only dogs can hear. Cause they're that high pitched. <laughs> um, but then this season you get, you know, multiple scenes throughout episodes, each multiple scenes throughout each episode, pardon me, that, he you know plays and hams up and he gets the spotlight a little more than he did in the first season because you know the first season every time he showed up was a new meme um in this season in season two he had you know entire scenes that were devoted to him um he was he wasn't a prop he was a character he was a character but it felt like there were a lot of cheap jokes in his right they played yeah they 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 leaned a little too much into the fan service aspect of that yeah, because it, what happens is there's an offset in his character because we find out he's 50 years old. And yes, I know he's a 900-year-old. He'll live to be 900 years old. So 50 years, he's still like a three-year-old. I understand that for those who are listening. I understand that. But the show was very clear that he was at the Jedi Temple and he received some training in the Force. So, and even five-year-olds know you don't eat babies. Yeah, so it, it's yeah, just exactly. they, they cheapened him a little bit for the sake of the memes. And, and the even after school, he would know not to eat the eggs. Exactly. So that's kind of, I do fall kind of squarely on that side of the fence when it comes to that debate. Yeah. It's just it's just interesting like uh, to hear about it and decide what you're going to do with it. it it's... Now they've taken away the heart of the show. I, I now we've skipped way ahead. We're talking about the end of the season where sure. Baby Yoda is no longer with Din officially. They took away the heart of the show. So here's the problem with taking away the heart of the show. You have to fill it with something else, right? It doesn't have right. to be all cute and cuddly, but it has to be the emotional weight has to be filled with something. You had a father-son relationship. That's what the crutch of the show was. Now that's gone. So what do you do? You also have to raise the stakes of moral dilemma over more than just, should I remove my helmet or not? I understand what it signifies, but now we have seen D he's then he's no longer um, bound to help this child. He's a free agent again, and he's taken off his helmet. Now we need to see him making some serious decisions that impacts millions and, and that sort of thing. We need to raise the stakes or thousands of people, whatever you want to say, that's fine. But these need to be life and death situations that Den is facing more than just, he's so cool, look at him. It, it needs right. to be that something internal, much deeper. That internal dialogue, that internal struggle, that, that character development, that depth. Yeah. Yeah, we need to. I agree with yeah. that. They don't step in season three. They're going to miss the mark. It has to get dark. It has to get serious. And it has to be a pretty big tonal shift to make it feel like it moved correctly. Because if not, it feels like we're still playing. And okay. it needs to be, a, there certainly needs a shift. I, I agree with you, Mom, 100% on that. I, yeah. I, I am a little worried about season three. Well, I was surprised. I've been over here like, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't, I, it's hard for me to like fangirl over it too much. Right. Sure. Sure. And yeah. I respect that. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a valid point, what you got. I do respect that. Um, I will say one other thing about it that, uh, well, I'll hold off. I'll hold off. Yeah. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, let's wait till we actually get to the series wrap because we're now at you know my favorite and possibly the best episode of 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 season two. Um, I I think we can all agree that each each episode has been building 
um, kind of this season. And this is where you just really hit that fantastic, you know, just first, I don't want to say, I guess like first strike or first, just really just, you, you kind of just drop your pen and in, in, in amazement at some of these scenes. But this is, you know, season, episode five is the Jedi. And, and two seasons ago, we had Bo-Katan kind of tease it at the end, you know, Ahsoka Tano on this, you know, planet Caladan or the city of Caladan on the planet Corvus. And it's, it's just such a beautiful episode. And I'm sure you're going to talk, y'all are going to talk plenty about this because you know much more about Japanese cinema than I do. <laughs> but the, just the beginning of this, you know, the first scene is you're just looking straight down this alley at this uh, building in the distance. And it's just, it's mid, it's not midnight. It's nighttime. There's lights on. It's kind of dusty and dirty and grimy and hazy. There's a fog on. And you just see these masked armed troopers just rushing, running, carrying machines they basically look like automatic rifle machine guns. Um, you, you hear someone's just like banging this massive gong. You see guys in gas masks and, and these breathing helmets just like spreading out throughout the forest. And then you just see her walking and you just see the twin white lightsabers I know. Oh, so glowing cool. in the distance. And this whole opening sequence is just poetry in motion there is no wasted movement there is no flipping and jumping and unnecessary expenditure of any kind of energy it is just pure and mechanical beauty of of just how ahsoka comes through And, and the cinematography is beautiful you know like i said they're they're in the forest there's this fog and a lot of times you just see you know these people calling out to other you know we'll cover that side where is she and you just hear the lightsabers ignite you hear a few slashes and you hear them deactivate again and and it's gorgeous at one point there's there there's kind of a top-down view and you see these guys all spread out and you would just see red laser fire coming from five different points and you see the two white lights snap out and slash slash and go out again and the next time there's just four places shooting red laser and it's just absolutely beautiful and i know that one of the first scenes where she kind of like take she slashes both of her lightsabers um in this downward diagonal arc she kills a guy and it cuts a tree that falls right in front of her i know that that's from japanese cinema i couldn't tell you from i actually specifically which one but if you guys want to take it from here please (laughs) yeah so we want to talk about akira kurosawa which is one of the most influential film directors of all time it's a shame that most Americans don't know, and Western audiences in general, don't know who he is. Uh, he began his film directing career back in the 50s. He came out swinging with one of the most famous, most influential films of all time called Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai is a basis for a huge majority of the Westerns we have in America cinema. They are Magnificent American. Seven. Magnificent Seven is a ad- direct adaptation of Seven Samurai. He's a fantastic director. If those of that are listening, you want to fall into something that's wonderful and interesting, you need to go and research and find his films. He's got things like Throne of Blood, a bunch of others that are extremely influential in cinema. And the reason it's a shame that, that we don't know more about him in the Western front. And the reason I bring all this is because we have direct influence that Steven Spielberg, a bunch of other directors have admitted that they have been directly inspired by him. What it, what about him inspired everyone? He's known for his movement of, of film. He has an uncanny ability to be very concise with his video shots. No second is wasted. 
everything is very concise. His cinematography is to the point. And his action sequences are very, very uh, precise. And there's no flamboyance to them. It is just pure, as you would say, pure mechanical beauty. Mm-hmm. This particular episode is a direct homage to his work. They shot it the same way. The fights were built the exact same way as his fight scenes are. It's that very just precision right to the heart of it. It happens faster than you realize. There's not a bunch of flipping around and all these karate things that you see in a lot of Kung Fu. It is just pure fighting and it's boiled down to its very pure essence. And that's what he's known for. And so we see that. In fact, when Asaka is facing off the main villain, forgive me, her name is slipping my mind for a second. Asoka. Asoka. Oh, oh, um, Inasanto. Inasanto. And they're in the Japanese garden and it looked like a Japanese garden. And then they're on that bit of a bridge. That is a direct reference to one of his action scenes. They recreated his action scene for that. Notice that she jumped around on these, these buildings, that sort of thing. He has done that in his movies as well. So Akira Kurosawa is a fantastic director, has done amazing work. And you'll see what I mean by his cinematography being different. His tone is also different. He deals with things like um, what life is like, the lawlessness of after wars, and that sort of thing. You see that theme come up often in his stuff, which is interesting. That really ties in in this episode. Exactly. So you have the Jedi, Ahsoka. She is literally dealing with the aftermath and the lawlessness of post-war problems of society. She's literally dealing with that. So you see all of these tie-ins and you see why they drew so heavily from his work and they were given such an homage because it was the perfect opportunity to do so. And uh, it's personally my favorite episode of this season, not because I love Japanese cinema so much, but because it's such a well-contained episode. It drives the main narrative forward and not a second is wasted on anything else. And I just really appreciate how concise this particular episode is. And Rosario Dawson just knocks it out of the park. So, but yeah, that's our quick rundown of what influenced this particular episode. I don't know if mom yeah. will add to that, but yeah, that's kind of my. Yeah, yeah, the director Eric is talking about, Akira Kurosawa. If you aren't familiar with his work, I highly suggest that you do some research. He was one of the few, for instance, during the war. It's kind of interesting because on our side, I know I always get the historical point that, you know, it is who I am, guys. That's why we love it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Brandon. But on our side, you know, we had Rosie the Riveter and we had all that. He actually produced a film during the war called The Most Beautiful. Uh-huh. And it was about females, women working in factories in Japan on the, on that side of the war, which is totally interesting. If you haven't streamed that, you need to. Um, just because it, The Most Beautiful by Akira Kawasaki. Um, I said it wrong. Kurosawa. Kurosawa. Kurosawa, thank you. Stream that because it is so, it's, it's so different from a different perspective, but the same thing. And it, it, it's just, when we look at his, his work over the years, and he, he went from like 40 or almost 50 years mm-hmm. in his career. 47 years, if I remember. 47 years. Yeah, that's a and long time. So it was so influential. He was influenced by the American Westerns. But then he also, in turn, influenced mm-hmm. American cinema. 
And yes, I'm just going to tag on Eric what you've said because he's there's a lot of movies out there that you can stream now from the Japanese cinema yeah. that you may or may not have seen. I highly recommend that you do that because it does influence what we've done in Hollywood. And he had a stint in Hollywood, uh-huh. which you may or may not know. Um, during the 70s, early 80s, I'm guessing, I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember. Time for me is always this weird thing, but I think it was the 70s, early 80s that he had a stint in Hollywood. And when we called them Kung Fu movies, they weren't really Kung Fu movies, but that's what we called them in the 70s. They were all Kung Fu movies. Anything to do with Japanese or Chinese, it was always Kung Fu. Right. But those things. One of those things, but we call them kung fu movies, but they were, he did a lot of really good movies. And while we're talking about Japanese cinema influence on the Jedis and on the whole idea of the Jedis, if you've not studied Bushido, which is the way of the warrior, and you haven't looked at Ichini, which is a Japanese philosophy. Yes then you're missing out Star Wars fans because it's really based on all of that. The Jedi Knight is nothing more than a Samurai Knight. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the way that they, the way of the force um, is the Ichini concept. And I use that actually a lot in counseling. It's kind of in the uh, counseling terms, it's called radical acceptance, maybe called mindfulness. It can be called harmony and balance, and mindfulness at every moment, and enjoying every moment. But all of that's part of that force that's wrapped up then into the Bushido, which is the way of the warrior. So if you've not looked at the samurai, you've missed out, you Star Wars fans. <laughs> you're saying, as I'm saying about Japanese cinema, yeah. you can't divorce Japanese cinema from Japanese samurai, Japanese philosophy. You cannot divorce that. Yeah. And one other thing about Star Wars being influenced directly by Akira Kamsawa is you guys need to check out Hidden Fortress. And what was interesting about that is it's about a princess or general and a couple peasants who need to get back home and they have to travel through enemy lines. The reason I bring this up is because it is one of George Lucas's most in- biggest influences when he came to actually write Star Wars. That is true. Oh, wow. It's a direct reference, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, he directly references uh, Hidden Fortress several times in a lot of the ways, and like his characters are an homage. So yeah, Akira is probably the most influ- biggest influence on Star Wars in general, and no one ever talks about it. And I, I want to kind of go along with what you said, and I want to make sure that I'm clear in that it's the Star Wars influence comes from the samurai tradition. Right. Right. Um, not the ninja tradition. Yes, that's Probably. a very different thing. Yes. Um, and later. So it comes from that samurai sort of feudal, but that honor, that character matters. And we even see that with Mando so much. So Ahsoka just kind of comes, you know, stands at the base of this giant building where, well, not giant, but for this town, definitely the administrative or the head building. And, uh, just calls up to this this female who's obviously in charge, this local magistrate, saying, you know, you have the info I want, you know what I want, and you have one day to give it to me. And the magistrate just pulls some villagers up. Oh, yeah, well, how many lives is it worth to you? One, two, 
a hundred, you know, saying, you know, keep coming and I'll just start killing these innocent people. And she outright says, she's like, I have, I could care less about the people here. They're just pawns to me. They're a commodity, essentially. She's like, so you just go into your forest and do what you think you have to do. We'll take care of you somehow. Um, and just as luck would have it, hey, hey, a Mandalorian shows up the next day. Um, <laughs> and he, he doesn't say, you know, what his intention is from coming to this planet. He, he hides his intentions, obviously, and doesn't and leaves Grogu either in the ship or I think he just leaves him in the ship. I don't think He's he even brings ship, him in yeah. the sack. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't want that wrinkle. Um, and she hires him. She says, you know, I have a problem um, and I will pay you this pure best car, st- best car steel spear, you know, if if you get rid of this annoyance for me. Right. And we just see this, you know, pure best car spear that is just, you know, you can tell it's best car because of the sound it makes when she strikes it on the deck. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> apparently Mandalorians know that sound. Right. Um, but he's like, sure. Yeah. I'll take the job to find this person I'm looking for anyway. Why not? Um, and that's when we get the, the great uh, kind of communion scene of Ahsoka just communicating through the force with Grogu since he's too young to properly speak yet. He can still, you know, share thoughts and intentions and things like that. And that's when we find out that his name is Grogu. He's 50 years old and he trained at the temple. Um, He somehow survived, you know, the night of Anakin, uh, things like that. Uh, Maybe he wasn't at the temple that night. We don't know. We haven't gotten those specifics, but we also get this indication that, you know, um, how much of a bond he's developed with Din Jardine that she says, I can't train him. Like he's already, he has such a connection to you that if we tried to sever that, that strong emotion would certainly lead him to the dark side. He's like, are you sure? She's like, oh yeah, been down this path before. Because <laughs> for those who don't know, I don't know how much we talked about it. Ahsoka Tano was Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Um, she was his little trainee Jedi before he fell to the dark side. Um, and Ahsoka kind of, she was banished from the Jedi Order um, because she was basically scapegoated. Uh, There was a plot that the Emperor had in the Clone Wars, and it came together perfectly for him. But because of that, the only way for the Jedi Order to save face was basically say, you know, well, these things that Ahsoka Tano did was without our sanction, even though they're perfectly in line with what, you know, the teachings of the Jedi are or should be. And she was starting to have questions like, we are supposed to be these passive, pacifistic peacekeepers um, throughout the galaxy, but we have been made generals of the government. You know, we're supposed to be this independent organization that, you know, rules through the force, which she can get into all kinds of ethics and morality debates about that. But she was really starting to question, you know, this is what we say, but this is not what we're doing. And she was kind of cast out of, of the Jedi order for that. And what was kind of neat is that uh, Disney plus did a whole extra season to wrap up the clone wars because it wasn't, it didn't finish on, on the original run. There were a lot of things that were left unanswered and then rebels did kind of a good job doing that. Cause that happened on broadcast TV in between. And then just last year post Mandalorian, they put up these episodes, this new season of Clone Wars, or maybe even been concurrent at one point. Um, but they wrapped up some things. And in that season, you actually saw Order 66 happen. You know, the thing that happened at the end when they started killing all the Jedi, you see that happen um, in the Clone Wars. And it was kind of a ride, uh, a really bad turn, because you saw this coming. They set up 
that there was this, you know, gene or, or something in the brains of these clone troopers that was almost caught so many times and it was caught and found out by certain characters, but then they were murdered and silenced before the information could get to the people who needed it. So you have these clone troopers who were beloved characters who were on the side of good and fought with the Jedi. And in one second, they became the bad guys. Right. And all of these people who were wearing the mark of the Jedi, who literally came back and painted their shields to look like Ahsoka. Um, if you look at Rosario Dawson's, you know, picture on IMDb, she has Ahsoka has very distinctive facial markings. That's, that's how her race is. And these clone troopers painted it on their helmets to identify with her because she was their commander. They had stood in battle with her. And in just a second, because, you know, this order 66 went through and this genetic switch was flipped in their brains they just started trying to murder her and it was fantastic storytelling. It was just so gut wrenching and horrible um, that these men that she, you know, stood and fought with and shed blood with and, and shot shed blood with, <laughs> you know, yeah. together um, just turn. And you can see just all of this in Rosario Dawson's acting in this, this scene with where she's, you know, talking with Grogu and then talking with Din about why she can't do this. She's like, you know, I've seen those who've tried to, you know, go this path and try to keep these things in check, but they can't. So if I would try to train him, it, it would just be horrible. It wouldn't work out. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not the one. <laughs> yeah. Here's what's interesting about that scene. I don't necessarily agree with Ahsoka. Yeah. She talks about how that he can't be trained. He's too attached. I think she was projecting because when when, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say his name. <laughs> if, if you're listening to this podcast. I yeah, it's not like it's a, a true spoiler at this point. Yeah. So Luke, when he cut, you know, when Luke shows up, he goes with him willingly. It's not a big deal. Right. He's like, now it's time to go. I don't agree with Soka here. I think she was projecting. I think her fear was projecting. I mean, in fairness to her, she was burned by Darth Vader, you know, Anakin becoming Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine, all of her troops had turned on her. And I think it's interesting. We are supposed to just accept that she's wise in this, but I don't agree with it at all. Now, do I think that it's totally within character? Yes. I think it was excellent writing. And I think that if they had done it any other way, it would not have worked because Ahsoka had gone through what she had gone through in Clone Wars and Rebels. I will say, though, that her character at that moment is wrong. Now you have to understand, I love Ahsoka. I, in fact, I have a bunch, I have some collectibles from Ahsoka's character. I think she's the best character from Clone Wars without a doubt. But in this case, I disagree with her. He could be trained. She just didn't want to. And so her fear was being projected there. And so, I think it's really interesting. That's yeah. what I wanted to step in about that emotional bond. <laughs> How could I not, right? Sure. So I agree with you, Eric. I think that, yes, I think it was totally in character for her because of her background and where she came from and, and all of that. However, I think that when we look at a lot of George Lucas work, we look at a lot of Steven Spielberg work. We look at Dune. We look at these things. These men who wrote or directed these things are scared to death of emotional attachment. Agreed. Absolutely. We, you think of the the uh, close encounters of the third kind. What happened in the end? This husband and father gets on the ship and goes away forever and ever. And That's we're supposed to reform. It's weird. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Off he goes. It's like, okay, see you later. Have fun with the mashed potatoes, right? Off yeah. he goes. Right. We have in June, 
you know, the one thing that you don't want to do, even if you're a Bini, especially if you're a Bini Jesuit, is to have that emotional attachment. Emotions are not good. You know, if you get. Yeah, but I would argue with that because later on, the Bini Jesuit recognized that's a problem. (laughs) But they did, but they didn't because even when you look at Chapter House Dune, that's just what I was thinking. And you look at. Dar and Tar, you know, in those particular ones, those of you who haven't read that, sorry, just spoiled it for you. But when you look at those particular mother superiors and you move on to the, the combination of the mother superiors with the honored matres, it was the, the they, they did recognize that that emotional stuff was necessary, but this was after tens of thousands of years. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and not until Brian Herbert took over his dad's writings. That's all I'm saying about Frank yeah. Herbert. And I do love him. He's the best of the best. Brave New World. When we look at those, any of those, when we look at sci-fi, it's always human emotions are what makes us human. That human emotional bond, if it gets too close, mm, step back. And yet that is what makes us human. It, it's the, the whole thing that Star Trek explored What's the difference between Spock and Captain Kirk, Data and Captain Picard, Seven of Nine and Jane Wendland? What is the difference between them? I mean, they explored that. They always had a Pinocchio in all of the Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Because they were exploring that human emotion, that human bond. And when Osaka, uh, Ahsoka, I know I want to say Osaka because it sounds very Japanese. Sure. Ahsoka goes, yeah, no, he's too bonded. What I want to say is that's what will make him good. I know what Anakin did, but the difference, the choosing between right and wrong, if Anakin had had another strong attachment, and we can argue about whether or not he was attached to Padme, I'm going to say he wasn't. Not really. I think it was all about him and not about Padme. If he was really, truly attached to her in a way that was recognizing that Padme was a real person outside of him. Right. It was his idealized version of Padme. Exactly, which makes him such a narcissist. If he had a true attachment to Padme, then he would not have killed those younglings and he would not have turned to the dark side. That is my belief. As a counselor, (laughs) I'm going to say that Grogu having that true attachment to Mando and Mando having that true attachment of love back would keep Grogu from turning to the dark side. Yeah, I I would uh, I would completely agree with you, Eric, because like I said, Ahsoka was, you know, supposed to be, she belonged to this great shining city on the hill that had some serious foundational cracks and had a lot of darkness hiding within and without attacking it. Um, so she knew that the Jedi order wasn't the way necessarily. Sure. And she also had this firsthand experience with Anakin watching him, you know, she knew that he was breaking the rules and, she knew it and Obi-Wan knew it and there were others who knew it, but still turned a blind eye and they figured, well, it, it'll work out. It will be fine. And I, I really do believe, like you said, that it was her projecting because she saw how things are supposed to be and they didn't work out. She saw someone try to do something different and it didn't work out. I don't know if she's scared is the right word necessarily, but I don't think it's far off. I think she's definitely too too worried or i'm sorry what would you say yes uncomfortable and and maybe even more than that but just too unsure of herself and of what truly is what could be that she doesn't want to be the tipping point that could cause this great darkness yeah and we do want to talk about the jedi order's desire for repression and Mm -hmm. the dangers of it 
So we could talk about Anakin. Now I know you were saying that he was narcissistic. I, I do agree with that, but he was a narcissist because he, he was not able to process his feelings in a healthy way. I would agree with that. And so, I don't think there was any outlet for that. There was no outlet for it. And here's the thing. So Padme is pregnant and then he starts seeing visions that she's going to die a childbirth. He freaks out and then he turns to the dark side, becomes uh, Darth, Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. He does that because he knows the Jedi will not offer any help to solve his problem. Right. Which I think is the failing of the writers and the directors to foresee that. They should have had a counselor with them. <laughs> well, then if everybody had a counselor, then... and they were like, oh my gosh, what do we do with that? And I'm over here going, I tell you what to do with that. Right. So he wasn't able to generate, you know, he wasn't able to direct his feelings in a positive way because the Jedi refused to help him on this. So he acted out of desperation. I see Ahsoka doing the same thing here. There's no direction on what she should do with her feelings. So she's gone rogue. Now, fortunately, she's a good person at heart. And so going rogue constitutes of her uh, being a vigilante, basically. And that's the worst we see of her. But that's still not healthy, what she's doing. Neither her conclusion on uh, on training Gorgu or not. So it's just an interesting thing. And I love the fact that it was so understated, but all of that was happening in that brief scene. Uh, and Rosario Dawson projects all of those thoughts and, and projecting how complicated this all is in just a look or two. It shows you how great of an actress she is. She's just, she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a lovely scene that's really interesting. And it went exactly the way I had hoped it would have gone. And it shows Ahsoka is not perfect and it does create more complications for them because she's afraid to take that step and to bond with uh, Grogu. So. I would agree. I would agree. It is funny though. It is such a dichotomy between trust your feelings and feelings are dangerous. Right. Exactly. And how's anybody, how's anybody supposed to be, you know, a single mind that way? I, I think of a, I think of a verse, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's interesting. Uh, that think scripture, I think of a movie, Too Many Minds. From Too Many Minds, fair enough. <laughs> that's a good connection too. And how, you know, that's the, that's the failing of the Jedi Order is not being complete, not exploring all of these things. And unfortunately, it's interesting how they didn't really learn that lesson the writers did coming into the newest sequels because now I'm off on a tangent, but Luke Skywalker, he's like, I'm going rogue. He didn't really, he kept freaking out about people's feelings. And that's the thing to be a whole integrated adult. You need to accept your shadow side, literally your shadow side and understand it and be like, that's part of me. And then you can control it until you accept that you have a shadow side and really pull it in and go, I see you. This is part of me. This is Jungian philosophy, but it, it, it pulls into modern psychology too. Yeah. We need to recognize our shadow side. So if we're going to have the light side and the dark side, we have to recognize that we have both within us. And I think that that's partly where I struggle with Star Wars. Again, I, I am a fan. <laughs> I've always been a fan. But I struggle with that literally black and white, light and dark side when we are all, we all have both the light and the shadow within us. And we need to accept both and just say, I am who I am and accept that. And then, then we can move forward in a way that's full of growth and possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
there is some more to the episode left after that. It's, you know, after Ahsoka has this great conversation with Mando and says, look, the, the kid's still yours. Um, he says, you know, gives her the clue. He's like, well, you know, I was hired to kill you. And, and that's just how they leave it. Like the scene ends, it cuts back to the village and, and you just see, we see Ahsoka walk back and throw his shoulder guard, his pauldron on the ground in between them and says, Hey, your assassin failed. Um, and then she just does one of the massive like Jedi jumps where she goes 30 feet in the air um, and, and starts, you know, leading the soldiers away. Um, from basically the little village huts they were guarding. And then you see Mando actually fly in, you know, Sans shoulder guard, but he starts letting the villagers go when uh, Inosanto's lieutenant comes and starts fighting him, who you may also know as Kyle Reese from the Terminator, actor Michael Bean. Yes, that was really great. But I saw him, I was like, that's somebody, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> I knew him as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, it's so great to see him. That's so yeah. cool. It's like, I know that's somebody. Um, and so that was cool. Just seeing him be the old grizzled, you know, fighter. And and he kind of has this, he, he kind of, you see him being kind of like the bad Mando. And the fact he's like, so, you know, who do you think is going to win? My, you know, my boss or your boss, basically. And, you know, it, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Just, you know, get paid, get out alive, do what you got to do. And I guess that means that I have to kill you. Sorry, it's just business. Um, so this guy is very cut and dry. You know, like we said before, Mando's mission was make the money, get the best car, bring it to the covert, you know, follow the way. And you see this guy living by, you know, very much the mercenary version of that. And he is, he's like, well, these aren't lives. These are just commodities to be traded. Uh, and Mando dispatches him fairly quickly. And we could care less about that because the real battle is Ahsoka and Inosanto. Because yeah. with this pure Beskar spear, lightsabers can't cut through it. So she's fighting and Ahsoka does the dual lightsaber style and the fighting is so matched and so well done that at one point she disarms one of her lightsabers and goes flying into the little uh, reflecting pool nearby. Um, so Ahsoka's down to one lightsaber and, and of course, you know, eventually she wins sure. and you find out that this woman was, you know, this, she used to work for Moff Gideon and that's the information that Ahsoka wants. And I, I think we've, we did, I don't think we mentioned it with the Mandalorians. That's also what Bo-Katan was looking for, not just the weapons uh, to fund taking back Mandalore, but she also wanted to know where Moff Gideon was. Um, and you find out, you know, this woman who's the magistrate was this basically war profiteer. Yeah. Um, she, she, one of the uh, people in the casino, <laughs> if you will, during the second, what was that? Uh, the, Force Awakens, the new Jedi or whatever, whatever the yeah. second, the last Jedi. There we go. Not the new Jedi. I was thinking the new Jedi ordered the old stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It starts to get all together. Yeah. The last Jedi, the, the completely unnecessary scene, <laughs> casino scene where, you know, except talking about, you know, all these people are just war profiteers. They're making money off both sides. Exactly. Um, and that's what this woman did. You know, she she worked for Moff Gideon under the Imperials, but then she also just made as much money as she could, cut and run, and now she's on this backwater, you know, just trying to stay alive against this Jedi, basically. And she fails. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't know. They cut away. You know, yeah, they don't actually yeah. see what they, her dying. There's another thing I'd be remiss real quick for those that are big fans of it is Admiral Thrawn mentioned for the first mm -hmm. time in the live action Admiral Thrawn is a very famous character from the books uh, and so it was really cool to hear his name we will eventually come across Admiral Thrawn he's a master yeah. imagine Tony Stark they brought him in. 
and in the Star Wars universe. That's basically what Admiral Thrawn is. And blue with red eyes. <laughs> red eyes, which he said. Yeah, he was he was one of the big bads in uh, Star Wars Rebels, the animated. Yep. So in the later seasons, he came in, and it was just fantastic because he's very much the. He doesn't raise his voice. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what you're doing. And he knows exactly what you will do for the next three moves. Like you, yeah. you don't want to play this man in chess. <laughs> yeah, he's it's, he, he's a great character, and I'm really excited to see him in live action. So that was that was the big part. That was the big Easter egg of that battle was Admiral Thrawn's name being dropped. Right, and yeah, thanks for pointing that out because I forgot about that. Yeah, and it's it's just a great new. So that sparks so many rumor mills. Who do you think is going to oh. be Thrawn? Are we going to see Thrawn at night? Yeah, I did. yeah. It's like, well, you got to use someone like you know, uh, Jeremy. Uh, I just lost his name. Renner. Scar. 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 Yes, he was the voice of Scar in The Lion King, the original animated. I'm surrounded by idiots. Oh, Jeremy Irons. Irons, thank you, Jeremy Irons. You got it. I was like Hans Zimmer's brother, or not Zimmer, Hans Gruber's brother. Yeah, yeah, okay, got it. Yes, my brother was an asshole. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty great. Just, just chewing all the scenery, Jeremy oh, Irons. Uh, yeah, he does every time. He was great in the Watchmen show. He was yeah. so good. Yeah. Oh, he was fantastic as an old Aussie man. Yeah, he was great. Oh. He was so good. Oh. But yeah, and, and oh gosh. So but that, yeah, that wraps up those uh, three episodes. And I, we are definitely at time for this episode and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, just some fantastic discussions that just left me sitting there saying, oh crap, say something, you idiot. We're still recording. <laughs> it's like you don't have time to mentally process that wonderful meal you just had. <laughs> we do all right. We do okay. But yeah, so that's been another episode of You, Me, and Your Mom. Just want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to us. And uh, if you want to reach out and contact us, we have various ways you can do that. And Eric's going to tell you about them right now. Sure. So if you want to contact us and let us know what you think about the new season of Mandalorian, you can do that in lots of ways. First of all, you can find us on our Facebook page, which is You, Me, Your Mom. It's really easy. You just Google us. You can also find us on our Instagram, which is You, Me, Your Mom Podcast. That's You, Me, Your Mom Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter, which is You, Me, Your Mom. You can find us there. That's our handle. That's usually those three are the fastest way to get in touch with us. You can direct message us there, and I promise we will get your message. We'd love to hear your opinion on different things. You can also leave us a voicemail if you're interested. You can go and find where most places that you can find your podcast you'll see ours there with a button that says leave a voicemail click on that you can leave us a voicemail and you can also email us at you me your mom 99 at gmail.com that's you me your mom 99 at gmail.com and that's spelled y-o-u-m-e-y-o-u-r-m-o-m 99 at gmail.com <laughs> love it so just once again, I'm Brandon, and just want to say thanks on behalf of my other co-host, Eric. That's up. And Sandy. That's me. And just want to remind you that wherever you are in the big wide world, just remember, it could always be worse. Have a great day, folks. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Okay. Okay.